Hello, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Learning to Live podcast. My name is Chaz Okada, and this week we have part two of the interview with Takeo and Brian Ritchie. Takeo and Brian Ritchie founded and now own a glass wall manufacturing company, and these glass walls serve for squash and racquetball courts. They have stationary glass walls, and they also have movable glass walls, which are quite interesting. These movable glass walls allow the players to adjust the size of a squash court and make it a racquetball court or vice versa because the squash courts and racquetball courts have different dimensions. This half of the interview took quite a serious tone and last interview they talked about their motivations, how they started, their story. If you're interested, check that out. That's episode four. But I would highly recommend this episode for anyone that is an aspiring entrepreneur or wants to understand what it's like and some of the challenges they some of the challenges that they talk about are legal challenges the responsibility that you have as business owners the importance of building relationships in business having employees and the challenges Takeo and Brian Ritchie really struggled with having employees and that really affected the size to which they could grow their business and this interview is sort of a no filter interview on entrepreneurship. I'll let them use their words to put this interview into perspective. But I, to go back to my initial comments, and it, yes, it did sound negative and bleak and all of that. I only put it in that context because we have had people work for us who say, well, I want to do what you're doing because I want to just sit by the pool and let all the money flow in. That's what a lot of people's vision of an entrepreneur is, is letting everybody else do all of the work and I'll just sit and reap the rewards. It's not that way. It's, it's not, not that easy either. It's, <laughs> Even if you have one employee, it yeah, becomes yeah. a challenge. <laughs> exactly. And you get to the point of saying, is it really worth it? Times get tough. How do you respond and pull through? Perseverance, just a lot of praying, trying to figure out how you were going to do it, um, tapping into credit lines. Sometimes you had to ask family to help you out. But um, there are times when you didn't know if you were going to make it. We got sued a couple of times. That one was a tough one. You do, you can do everything right and think that you've met everything that you had, but there's companies out there that are bigger than you and they want to take you down because they see you as a threat. And we had two big dogs that came after us that thought they can take us down and it, it hurt us. There's no question it hurt us, but we also persevered because a, we had each other and we were able to work through it. And second, we had family that helped us through it as well. But getting us to this point, it's working when it doesn't, it's not an eight to five job. Hmm. You'll get up early. You'll sometimes you, then you take off to deal with the kids and then you come back and you're working again. You're typing emails, you're working and that it helped us a lot is the advancement of emails, internet, websites, 
no question, because um, our customers know how to get a hold of us, and they don't even use the business line. It's more, oh, call them on the cell phone, because they know they can get a hold of us, and that's the biggest key is being able to help your customers when they call you. They know that they can call you. We've been real early adopters of technology as it's come along. So when we started our business, cell phones didn't even exist. But as soon as they did, we had them installed in our cars, hardwired, because that's the way that, uh, that uh, the technology worked at the time, uh, to being able to have, I had a, a PDA, isn't that what they were called? Personal device assistant, I think they were called, a Palm Pilot. That's what it was. I had a Palm Pilot that I could get my emails on there. Uh, And then we're able to take our business lines and transfer them to our cell phones. And it allowed us to be at a baseball game and respond to customers. And they had no idea that we weren't sitting in an office because that's what everybody was doing. Now, Technology has allowed a lot of people to be a little bit more flexible, but we've always been that way. And sometimes it's been difficult to um, disconnect. A, a, disconnect. It's also hard to explain. No, those aren't really waves in the background. It's just really windy. <laughs> so as we're sitting on the beach in Maui trying to conduct our business. But we really don't have any completely downtime. There's There really is not a day. because We've learned that... That uh, you know, you know, the Muslim countries in the world are not doing business on Fridays, and the our Jewish customer isn't doing business on Saturday, and our Christian cus- customers are not doing work on on Sundays, and but there's not a day that goes by that there isn't communication from somewhere around the world, and most of the time it's at one or two in the morning. And you get up to get a drink of water and you're looking at your email and you're responding to email to requests from around the world all the time. Would you mind sharing what got you into legal trouble in terms of being sued and how you persevered past that challenge? I don't know how we persevered. It was tough. It was one of the most trying times to get through. As a small company, you can't afford to get sued, especially when you've got a guy who's in New York, he sues you in New York, and you're based in Colorado. If you've so, seen the you've seen the show Law and Order, at the beginning of the show, the lawyers and the um, police officers or whatever are walking up the steps of that uh, big marble building with the with the pillars in front of them. That's where we got sued, and that's where we had to go to defend ourselves. So trying to find an attorney to represent you in New York, that was a tough one. We were blessed that we got a great attorney who knew what we needed. We were fortunate enough that I think even though we were sued, we were fortunate to have a judge changed on us because he comes in from his sabbatical and he came in, looked at the case, and he wanted to hear the case where the previous judge that we had, she didn't want to have anything to do with it. So this judge came in, looked at it. I insisted with our attorney, which he thought was ridiculous, to show exactly what our product was. I wanted to show him the difference between our hinge versus the competition's hinge. The judge loved it. The judge didn't even make it to his bench before he came down and says, oh, 
what do we have here? We have show and tell. Comes down, looks at the product, and our attorney was just flabbergasted. He's like, that never happens. So he's like, what is this? So the guy goes, well, this is how this hinge works. Slams and puts the pencil through the door, and the pencil snaps in half, and that was our com- competitor. You, He tried it with our door. Our hinge couldn't do it. He's like, well, that's a significant difference. Our attorney was just so excited because he already had the judge won. And so therefore, if it weren't for the product being there and for the judge to be able to touch it and see it and feel it, that helped us tremendously. So trust your instincts when somebody even tells you, you know, you have an attorney that's knows and he deals with those types of things. Sometimes, you know, your product the best and you can say, no, you need to see it unless you know what it is. You're not going to understand it. And that made the difference that gave us the edge. Yeah. The the court venue that we were in is a, is a federal court at the all intellectual property lawsuits are taken at the federal appeals court level. So this is a very high level court. So the decorum is even higher than when you're, say, at a district court level or whatever. Very formal. Very, very formal. And the and the stakes are extremely high um, because after the appellate court process, there's not many places to go. You're, the, the ceiling is pretty much there. Uh, and this attorney who was from a very prominent law, uh, intellectual property firm in New York. That firm had customers such as Alexander Graham Bell and Thomas, uh, Thomas Edison, um, the Wright brothers. So they had a long, long history of extremely prominent inventors. And our particular attorney, his clients at the time was Lucent Technologies and us. And so he was armed with the tools to litigate this in our in our favor. And he did an extremely good job, but it wasn't cheap. So if there's any advice there, when if you're ever faced with an injustice such as this is not to skimp, you figure out some way to spend the right resources because you do get what you pay for. And this guy was expensive, but he was also extremely good. And God was on our side because if that judge had not been swapped out, we wouldn't be here talking about this today. Right. We had, we went for a motion for summary judgment and those are never won. Typically those are one in a hundred chances of you trying to win one of those. And the judge looked at it and he basically said, this never should have come up. This never should have happened. If this, the people that sued us got a sleazy attorney that was able to file it because every other firm that looked at it says, there's no basis for this. This is just a frivolous lawsuit. They're just trying to put you under. And the judge saw it, our attorney saw it, and that's how we survived. The way patents are, are written, the very first uh, section in any patent is what they call prior art, which says, are you as the applicant of this patent aware of any other patents that may be uh, considered uh, in conflict with yours? And literally the first couple of sentences in our patent discuss the patent already issued of the people that sued us. And even with that knowledge, 
the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office looked at our application and looked at their patent and said these are not similar and issued us the patent. Nonetheless, this company sued us knowing that they had no case whatsoever. And the only reason to bring us into court was to try to run us out of business. Wow, that must have been a really tough time for your business. And it's not really something that I think about when I think about starting a business myself. I don't think about the legal procedures. I know that there are some, and I know that especially probably if you have a patent or any other legal or intellectual property rights, you have to make sure that you're not in violation of anybody else's. But it's it's something that I guess I have a lot to learn. And to change topics a little bit, I'd like to talk a little bit about your you do inter, you do business internationally, correct? Yes. Is there anything different about doing business internationally and how did you get into that? We also do we represent our own faux rock panels. Um the way we fall into a lot of these <laughs> avenues or choices of what we're going to sell is that we look for a need. And that need is basically, huh, I wonder where I can buy some of these panels that look like rock but don't weigh very much because I want it to go on my upper balcony that has a hot tub. You couldn't find it. Well, that means there should be a need for that because somebody is looking for that. It's not just me. So therefore, we were able to find the product, and then they were looking for somebody to represent them. In order to do that, we said, "Sure, we can take on that new branch. We can have we have enough time in our company to be able to manage something like that." So um, that's how we got started with that. It came down to a portion where, again, they were not a honorable company to be working with so we found somebody else and Brian's like I think we can source this on our own and so he was able to do that and that's where he found um, started doing business overseas to help us compete here uh, with our new material so we have we have an interesting international scenario we are uh, we sell overseas to Customers, we have a, a very robust interest uh, customer in India. Uh, we sell to Indonesia and a lot to the Middle East. Those are our big international export markets. But then we also import, as Taika was describing, the polyurethane wall panels that we manufacture. We import those from China and sell primarily, again, to North America, but also uh, around the world as well. And that was an interesting process, designing our own, our own panels. Uh, the rock panels that we manufacture, I literally stood in the riverbed in China, picking out the rocks and throwing them into the back of the truck and bringing them to the factory, showing the factory how to mold the, the, the panels and really started them on a new business venture. The biggest thing is the relationship that they develop. Brian has developed such a positive and it's a family. It's a family relationship is basically what it comes down to. And that makes a huge difference on having a factory and 
us being their customer, that trust and the family relationship that you deal with. And that helps us to succeed because you want to be able to trust the people you're working with. They need to stand behind their product and they need to believe in you as well. I think that perpetrates both our customer base and our vendor base is that we gravitate towards doing business with family-run operations. Correct. The glass company in Texas that we deal with is uh, a family of three brothers. The glass company we deal with in Vancouver is two brothers. Uh, The machine shop that manufactures our hinges for us. That's a family of two brothers, a dad and a mom. Uh, the company that we buy from in China on our polyurethane wall panels, it's it's the dad and the son. Uh, and we gravitate towards those kinds of people, both on customer side and on the vendor side, because we have a similar vision of what life should look like and what defines success, which isn't necessarily the bottom line, but it's the richness that we get out of the relationships that we have with our families and our friends. And oftentimes those intersect. From the other interviews that I've done, a lot of people talk about how the people are important and it's the relationships that you build and it's not just for the money that you don't do a business for the money but you do it because you love it and you love the people that's sort of what I've been hearing throughout a lot of these interviews yeah the relationships we have with our customers and vendors our friends and family when I travel overseas one of the everybody says that you should avoid politics and religion, but that's always my first conversations because I want to understand people's orientation and perspective. And it's not to be judgmental, but just to understand what makes them tick. Speaking of relationships and people, did you two share the same vision for the company? And was it a hard decision to reconcile those differences? It has been. It was one of those decisions where... Brian had huge ideas and dreams of owning several installation crews, going across the country, building these racquetball courts. So we're able to provide the gaskets, the bolts, the hardware, the glass, the driving the product to there, and then our own installation crews going in there. And we dabbled in that for a little bit um, for a short time frame, but when you started getting employees that a would steal your truck and not return, or you would start having them say, Oh, I'm sorry. I had to use a company credit card because uh, I couldn't pay for the strippers and I ran out of money. Oh, and I'd also charged the jet ski rental. Was that a problem? <laughs> yeah, that becomes a problem. So you can't control people and it just adds more headaches to um, dealing with people. And that what makes it very hard and was a conscious decision because you're sitting there going, we can do so much more. We can be able to go out there. We can be able to do these types of things. But how much brain damage do you want to have? So that's a choice that if you're good at managing people and you want to keep them under a microscope that whole entire time. God bless you. But 
we couldn't do it. We couldn't manage and try to babysit our employees along with our kids. Our business is a little bit different in that when in that concept, in that vision of having installation crews traveling around the country with your trucks and your trailers and your tools, it's very difficult to monitor their activities, to police what they're doing because they're, they have so much freedom and you have no way of policing that. It's not like a, say you own a machine shop and you're open Monday through Friday for certain hours. You can be there every day watching what they're doing. But with us, you had to rely, you had to trust on the people that were out there in the field and people are not trustworthy. Hmm, That is quite difficult. And lastly, do you have any advice for people that want to start their own small businesses or have a small business? It's not glamorous. It's not easy. Truly going to work, because I come from both sides. I work for a Fortune 100 company. uh, And although there was a tremendous amount of stress and the ramifications of not bringing home that sale were, were high, it's nothing like being a slave to your customers and vendors. And it's something that we relish. It's, it's, a, it's a positive thing because it drives you. But frankly, it's much easier to work f- for somebody else because there's always somebody else who the ultimate responsibility will fall upon. And when you're dependent every day on your decisions to put food on the table for your family, that's a pressure that, again, is welcomed because you're only relying on yourself and you don't have to rely on other people to put put that paycheck in your hands. But at the same time, if you don't perform, there is no paycheck. And there's been many times when there haven't there hasn't been one. I'll go more on the positives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it, it like. yeah it, it's a worry, but there's also the benefits outweigh all the worries mm-hmm. that you have. There is no question. I would not trade what I have chosen to do for anything. I've been very lucky and very blessed to work with my husband, work with my dad, have my kids help. Um, it was kind of funny when they were little, they would say, all mommy and daddy do is work on the computer. They just play on the computer and that's all they do. Well, little did they know that now they understand what we did and how we did it and why we did it. And I think in the end, they are very grateful and appreciative that we were there for them. Um, like I said, our youngest was just realizing what we can do for him and how we did it and He can't believe what we went through to get us to that point. And that makes me feel that it's worth everything that we've ever done. So it was almost like your own parenting strategy to start your own business. Absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. No question. But to go back to my initial comments, and yes, it did sound negative and bleak and all of that. I only put it in that context because... We have had people work for us who say, well, I want to do what you're doing because I want to just sit by the pool and let all the money flow in. That's 
what a lot of people's vision of an entrepreneur is, is letting everybody else do all of the work and I'll just sit and reap the rewards. It's not that way. It's, it's not, not that easy either. It's, <laughs> Even if you have one employee, it yeah, becomes yeah. a challenge. <laughs> exactly. And you get to the point of saying, is it really worth it? And sometimes you say, no, it's not. So you figure it out. You figure it out to make it work just between one of us, two of us, whatever it is. If he's out of town, if he's doing something, then I have to step up and do it. If I'm not here, then he has to step up and do it. So you have to be able to communicate, make sure you understand what your customers want, the bases that you want. I didn't really want to sell racquetball courts. I didn't wake up one day and say, oh, I'd really like to sell racquetball courts. I think the world needs more of those. It's just what happened. It was able, it just worked out the way it did. Um, and is it the most glamorous job? Probably not, but it provided for our family and we are where we are today because of that. And I couldn't ask for anything better. And it's rewarding because of the people that we're able to interact with. I mean, my best friend is our cust- our biggest customer. Yeah. Um, good friends in our suppliers. And so you're talking not just about business, but it goes from, you know, restaurants and good wine to when's the glass delivery. You know, it's that's the kind of interaction that we have with our customers and our vendors. And it's it's fun. That's what makes it fun is the people. All right. Well, thank you so much for all your great advice and your stories. It was quite a fascinating and fun interview, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Chess. Thank you, Chess. I could really hear the frustration in their voice when they were talking about being sued or trying to expand their company and manage employees. But what brought it all together was the fact that they had a goal and a mission, and that was to provide for their family, give their children a good upbringing. For me, at least, that is a very admirable quality. Also, when they brought up the story of being sued, it reminded me of something that I've been thinking about for a while now. No matter how much hard work or effort you put into something, It's always going to be fragile in the sense that some uncontrollable factor can take away what you've been building. It's easy to get anxious and worry over the uncontrollable aspects of life. I do that a lot. I try not to, and I always try to remind myself that I can't control it. I just have to deal with whatever happens. But after you get past that fact... It saddens me to see when people get discouraged or give up when a class or a project or anything, when things don't go the way that you envision them going. At that point, I try to think to myself, I've just practiced good work ethic. I've practiced working hard in a class. I've practiced studying. I've practiced possibly even the material itself. And next time I'm going to do that thing. I can take what I've learned through this attempt and apply it to next time. So in that case, all hope is not lost. The intangibles are likely the things that will last over the material when things go south. One good example of this is in Japan in 2011 when they had the earthquakes and tsunamis. The Japanese community, instead of looting and robbing and stealing from each other, 
they banded together because they had a strong community. And even though all the materials were gone, the buildings were gone, the shops were gone, the businesses were effectively not there, they still had the relationships. And Taiko and Brian mentioned this is they enjoy the relationships. They enjoy building connections with other family businesses. And that's strong. That's a way to keep your head above the water when something goes wrong. But I'd like to hear your thoughts. Do you disagree with me? I always want to know other people's perspectives and opinions because, for example, my dad, he always says, why should I listen to you? You're only 19 years old. You don't have life experience. You don't know what this or that is yet. You haven't experienced it. But I've seen other people go through it, and this is my observations and my thoughts. And maybe if you have a different perspective, I'd like to hear it. It makes me a better person, and it makes everybody else, I think, a better person as well. So please connect with me. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find links to the social media pages on chazokada.com. That's C-H-A-Z-O-K-A-D-A.com. And I have a lot of interesting content coming up, but let me know if you have any certain industry or profession that you'd like to hear about, or just any other general topics about college or school life. I'd be happy to talk about that. So until next week, thank you so much and take care.